Amen. Isn't that the truth? We, we, are, we are here today, and we are looking into a brand new year because our Lord is faithful. He has faithfully brought us this far, proven to us that we can count on him for today, and confident that we can count on him for the days that unfold before us in this coming year. Amen. Great is thy faithfulness, O Lord, unto me. Unto me. Amen. Amen. I want you to take out your copy of the scripture, if you would, this morning as we begin a brand new year. And I want you to find this verse in your copy of the scripture, Luke chapter 6, the gospel of Luke chapter 6 and verse 38. Here's the theme. Here's the theme. The harvest you want comes from the seeds you plant. The harvest you want comes from the seeds you plant. Luke 6, 38, Jesus is speaking. Give, plant, sow, give. And it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. They will pour into your lap. For by your standard of measure, for by the way you sow, the amount, the consistency, the type of sowing that you do, it will be measured to you in return. Now we may be saying this a whole bunch this morning. I pray it'll be one of those phrases that will just get etched across our spirits. It is a kingdom principle. It is a spirit principle that will not be changed. And here it is again. The harvest you want comes from the seeds you plant. Paul speaks of that same principle, that same truth in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 6, he writes, Now this I say, he who sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully shall also reap bountifully. And then he says, let each one do just as he is purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves somebody who is a sower, someone who is a planter. God loves a cheerful giver. And then then he says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. In other words, how you sow and what you sow will determine the kind of harvest and the amount of harvest that comes back your way. 
Now somebody's saying, well, there's another one of those preachers talking about money again. Don't jump to that conclusion. That can be a part of the return on our harvest. But there's, there's a return on the harvest in relationships. I want to talk to, we're going to finish up this morning with a return on a harvest for those of you who are married in your marriage. How's your marriage doing this morning? How's your marriage doing? Is it growing? Is it alive? Or is it just the same old, same old? Or is it shriveling? Or has it just gone barren and blank? Let me say this again. The harvest you want in relationships, in marriage, the harvest you want at work comes from the seeds that you plant. Now, how, how can that be true? How can that be true? In Revelation chapter 3, these words are found. Revelation 3, Jesus, the exalted Christ, is speaking. And he says to the church in Philadelphia, He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one closes, and who closes and no one opens, says this, I know your deeds. I know what you've been sowing. I know what you have been planting. I know your deeds. And behold, I have put before you an open door which no man can close because you have a little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name. How can it be, how will it be that the seeds you sow will determine the harvest you receive? It is because the one who makes that promise is the one who says, I hold the key to open doors for you and to close doors for you. Open for blessing, closing for protection. The harvest we want comes from the seeds we sow. You can skip all the way over to Deuteronomy 28 where we have been more than once here at Alamo City over these years. Just a couple of verses out of that powerful and invigorating listing of the promises of God's heart, what he wants to do for his people. He says, all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you will obey the Lord your God. Then he goes on to say in verse 8, the Lord will command the blessing upon you in your barns and in all that you put your hand to, and he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God gives you. The reason that the law of the harvest is true, true for benefit, true for blessing, true for abundance, is because the Lord who can make that happen is the Lord who has the ability to command a blessing. And the blessing has to flow out of his heart, out of his, through his powerful hand. Second Chronicles 16, 9. The eyes of the Lord roam to and fro 
throughout the whole inhabited earth in order that he may show himself strong in behalf of the one whose heart is completely his. Amen? So, so the, the, the truth, the principle is the harvest we want is determined by the seeds we sow. The reason we can know that that is a fact, that that is true, is because the one who makes the promise has the ability to open doors that nobody can shut, has the power to command a blessing, and has the ability, has the ability to find, to locate, to see, to show up where the ones whose hearts are completely his are. Oh, my goodness, folks, that's where we want to live. That's where we need to be as we step out into this year. I want to offer three places of sowing that I believe if you and I will take seriously these words from the Lord, the promise of the Lord, and we will determine to sow good seed, seed that he can bless in these areas, that our lives this year can be marked with wonderful blessing and ongoing and continuous encouragement. You see, the thing about sowing is that you're not going to expect that the full-flowered plant or fruit is going to show up the next day. It's not going to be like driving through Taco Cabana or Burger King or Whataburger, and we place an order and we've got it right there. This is about the developing of a lifestyle. This is about the developing of becoming a farmer from the inside out. Where we look out at a barren, nothing growing on it, piece of land. Understand it's got to be cultivated. The fallow ground's got to be broken up. The Lord has a way of doing that. And into that broken up ground, seeds are sown. And then we pray, Lord, will you send the rain? And will you send the right temperatures? And in time... The crop begins to grow. The fruit begins to be seen, and in time, the harvest will come. I'm, I'm wanting to talk today for, for some, maybe to some young folks. You, maybe you grew up in a home, and, 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 and there wasn't a father. There, there wasn't a dad who, who, who could speak some of these truths to you. Well, the, the, Lord, the Lord has ways of making up for the absence of significant figures in our lives. He does it in other ways. That's one of the reasons that the church is supposed to be what it is supposed to be in, in the lives of people where, where maybe there weren't godly examples in particular ways. Well, he'll raise up teachers. He'll, he'll, he'll give you, in a sense, a spiritual mother or a spiritual father if that had not been in place in your life in another way. And, and I just, it's just in my heart that, that, that I just want to speak as maybe a dad to, to some of you who didn't, who didn't grow up hearing this. How do you, how do you sow good seed in, in the place where you work? What, what is all of this about this, this law of the harvest that is there? That you sow and then you reap and you reap what you sow later, but more of it. So for goodness sake, we want to make sure that we're sowing the right kind of stuff so that we don't have a bad harvest. All right? So here's, here's the first, first thing I want you to look at me with. Sowing, sowing at work. Sowing seeds at work. If the harvest we want comes from the seeds we plant, 
then what kind of seeds at work do we want to be planting? Now, very quickly, I want you to find your way back to the book of Genesis, and we step in quickly, quickly, briefly to the life, into the life of the young man named Joseph. All right? You, you, you can... You can read the story of Joseph's life in the book of Genesis. It's, a, it's the last several chapters of the book of Genesis. But, but the, in, in chapter 39 is where I want you to know. We remember the story. Joseph's brothers had, had hatched a plot against him and, and carried through on the plot. He was sold into slavery, ended up in Egypt. He was the fair-haired boy. He was the chosen, favored son of his father, the youngest of all of the boys, and the older brothers grew to hate him, and they hatched a plan. Joseph ends up being, being taken to a place against his will, a place that he would never have chosen to go. But folks, here, here's, what I, here's what I want you to see. Joseph, Joseph is working for other people. He's working for other people at a, at a country and in some tasks that he had never picked out for himself. That this, this was not the culminations of Joseph's educational process fulfilling a dream he had had a long time ago. He was just snatched up and dumped in some places. But I want you to notice, I want you to notice how he conducted himself. He's going to end up, he's going to end up being at, at, the, at the right hand of Pharaoh, the, the whole king of the country and, the, and that, that, that Egyptian empire, Joseph would end up being the number two man in all of Egypt. But that is not at all where he started. There were some seeds that he sowed that God in time blessed him, blew his hat in the creek had his socks rolling up and up and down inside his boots. Bless the Lord knew how to thrill Joseph. The Lord knew how to over the top bless Joseph. But I want you to notice what the Lord saw in Joseph at work that Jesus by his spirit would bless in his life ultimately. This is Genesis 39 verse 2. Joseph is in, is in Egypt. He's been sold as a slave. Verse 2, and the Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. He was a successful man. God made him a successful man even though he was, he was a slave. He wasn't even a hired servant. He had been bought. He was a piece of property. But the Lord made him a successful man. How? The master saw, verse 3, that the Lord was with him and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found favor in his sight and became his personal servant. And he made him overseer over his house and all that he owned, he put in his charge. And it came about that from the time he made him overseer in his house and over all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. Thus the Lord's blessing was upon all that he owned in the house and in the field. So he left everything he owned in Joseph's charge. And with him there he did not concern himself with anything except the food which he ate. Joseph. He, he could have checked out. 
He could have spent his whole time whining and complaining and just crawling under a rock somewhere in Egypt. But here are the things about Joseph. Number one, number one, and young man, young woman, some, somebody who may have heard this before, understand here is a seed at work that God will bless. Joseph respected authority. Joseph was willing to come in under authority. He did not enter into this with any sort of an entitlement mentality. But there was something about Joseph that caused the one in authority over him to recognize that Joseph respected the position. It's different when that one in authority should demand unethical, immoral, illegal requirements. But evidently, that was not what was going on with Joseph's boss in this sense. He was just wanting someone to take care of his stuff, to, to help him manage what had been given to him in a responsible way. Joseph sowed respect for authority, and authority recognized it, and authority blessed. You want authority to bless you? You want those in authority over you to convey privilege, to convey responsibility back to you and favor back to you? Then it has to start with the sowing of the respect for authority. If, if Joseph ended up being given more and more responsibility, why? Because he was trusted. If you want responsibility to be given back to you, sow the seeds of trustworthiness. No matter what else anybody else is doing in the company, no matter what, what else is happening around you, the Lord knows and God sees that you're making the choice to honor the authority, you're making the choice to act responsibly and to act with integrity. Why would this man turn the management of everything else he owned except the food he ate over to a young man who came from, from the, the far side of the earth, as far as Egypt was concerned, from Israel, that he, was, he, he had been bought, he was a slave brought into the house. Why would this man turn such responsibility and grant Joseph with such favor? It's because somehow in, in Moses and in, in Joseph's boss, boss's heart, he understood somehow I can trust this fellow. I can trust this fellow. Joseph could be trusted to take care of the man's stuff. Now, I'm going to chase a rabbit here a minute. I drive off and try to get as far away from, from civilization as I can about, about one 24-hour period out of a week. And Shirley's gracious to let me go and do that. Where I end up driving, and some of our, a lot of our men have been down there with me at one time or another, it's down in Webb County, down, down you know, just in the middle of nowhere, that, that's where it is. All field roads, cleachy roads. If you, if you drive too fast on some of those roads, it's almost like the fillings in your teeth are going to come out in your mouth. I, I, I'll, I'll be driving down there, and I know I can't go very fast because my 238,000-mile Toyota vehicle, something's liable to just come off in the bar ditch if I go too fast. But I'm watching these guys that work for somebody else. It's not their own truck. Somebody's given them the truck to drive. 
and they're hitting about 40 miles an hour, 18 wheelers. And I'm telling you, the thing's going all over there. I mean, you see stuff off in the ditch and sometimes in the middle of the road, and you think, what in the world? How did they even drive without that? No responsibility. No sense of having a respect for the boss man's stuff. Joseph was honored. He was elevated because he respected the man and he respected the man's stuff. You be that man. Now, let me show you. Here's one that's important. You be that woman, you know. You be that lady. All the way over in the book of Ephesians, Paul will write these words. Here's, here's, how, here's why this is so important. You, you're, not, you're not working just for a company. You are working for the Lord Jesus Christ while you work for that company. You, you, the one that I'm ultimately responsible to is not the person in the office down the hall. The one I'm ultimately responsible to is the Lord Jesus Christ, who is my master. And under his name and under his calling, I'm serving and doing in this life with the work that I have. Here's how Paul puts it. This is Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5. Slaves or employees, be obedient to those who are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in the sincerity of your heart, as to Christ. Now let me, let me just cut to the chase. Here, here's how this literally is supposed to read. Slaves, employees, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh as to Christ. You honor them, you obey them as if you were working for the Lord Jesus Christ doing what you're doing in the place where you're doing it. And then, then he continues, he continues on, not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will, render service as to the Lord and not to men. What you're doing with your hands, what you're doing with the hours of your day, what you're doing with your brain, you're doing it as an offering, as a service unto the Lord. And the Lord just uses these secular companies, if you will, to put milk in your refrigerator. But it, is, it changes everything, folks. When I realize that there is somebody else watching me, not, not to slap me down and not to hurt me, but someone is watching me who loves me, who's wired me to have the abilities that he's given me, and he is watching how I do what I do. And even when no one else may seem to be watching, the Lord Jesus Christ is watching. Folks, listen, Joseph was so buried, he ended up getting lied about by Potiphar's wife, his master. She ends up having him thrown in jail. You, you remember that story? So it seemed like what good did it do for Joseph to be honoring the Lord if things were going to go so bad for him so quickly? But the point was, it wasn't, it wasn't even Pharaoh who ultimately was in charge of the open door for Joseph. It was the Lord God himself who was in charge of the doors that would be opened for Joseph in time. All right? And that's the same with you. That's the same with you. 
You go to work with your heart to please the Lord, with the integrity in which you conduct yourself, with the sense of responsibility that you're willing to bear, with the sense of respect for authority of the ones over you and that you work, you work under, doing it as unto the Lord. Okay? But here's something else about, about Joseph that's very fascinating. He, he sowed the seed of respect for authority. He sowed the seed of responsibility. But then he also sowed the seed of compassion at work. At work, at work, he sowed the seed of compassion. It wasn't going to all just be about Joseph. It was going to be about the care for those that he was with and had been in charge over. So here we have Joseph in, in, in prison now. Verse 22 of Genesis 39, 22. And the chief jailer committed to Joseph's charge all the prisoners who were in the jail so that whatever was, was done there, he was responsible for. It didn't matter. It didn't matter what the devil tried to do to slap Joseph down because he was sowing the seeds, respect for authority, sowing the seed of responsibility and integrity. God just kept raising him up. He, was, he wasn't anywhere near the Pharaoh's chamber yet. But everywhere he went, everywhere he was put, respect for authority, acting with responsibility and integrity. And in this case, another part of Joseph's character, compassion. Keep, keep following. This is chapter, chapter 4, or excuse me, chapter 40, verse 1. Then it came about after these things, the cupbearer, and the baker for the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was furious with his two officials, the chief cupbaker and the chief baker, cupbearer and chief baker. So he put them in confinement in the house of the, in the captain of the body, bodyguard in the jail, the same place where Joseph was in prison. And the captain of the bodyguard put Joseph in charge of them. And he, look at this, he took care of them. Joseph took care of them. And they were in confinement for some time. Then the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt, who were confined in jail, both had a dream the same night. Each man with his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. Now look at verse 6. Look at this. When Joseph came to them in the morning... And observed them, behold, they were dejected. And he asked, Joseph asked Pharaoh's officials who were with him in confinement in his master's house, why are your faces so sad today? Why? Joseph could have said, have you noticed how sad my face ought to be? But it wasn't that. It wasn't that. Why are your faces so sad today? Then they said to him, we've had a dream, and there is no one to interpret it. And then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell it to me, please. He, he, noticed, he noticed the sadness on their faces. Why? Because people mattered to him. People mattered to Joseph 
because people mattered to the Lord. Joseph would sow these seeds of compassion. And at the time when Joseph would need compassion shown to him at the greatest moment, the compassion came back. The Lord caused the set of circumstances to happen such that the cupbearer realizes after time had passed and Joseph, he's, he's long gone out of the, out of the jail. And, but, but Pharaoh has a dream and, and the, the, the former official remembered Joseph and, and that's how Joseph's name was even brought before Pharaoh. And, and Pharaoh hurriedly got Joseph to come from the prison to, the, to where he was, to the palace. And, and Joseph interpreted the dream and the compassion of the Lord broke through like a mighty flood upon Joseph. Where Pharaoh would say, where can we find a man with the kind of wisdom that you've expressed except in you? Second only to me, Joseph, you will be in charge of everything, <laughs> in charge of everything in, in Egypt. Folks, he, he, he sowed compassion with those he was working with. I, I cannot tell you how vital this is, how, how powerful this seed is in the heart of Almighty God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It was the compassionate heart of the Father that caused Jesus to be sent and to die on the cross and to be our Savior. It is that same kind of compassion for people, broken people, hurting people, they're never going to be perfect. We're always going to be living in a world full of messes. But the compassion of Christ alive in you can rise up at work, at work, at work, at work. Who do you work for? I work for Jesus. That This other company pays my salary, puts milk in my refrigerator, but I'm here because the Lord Jesus Christ has put me here, and I'm here wanting to look with his eyes into the hearts of people. Amen. Amen. Now, now look at this. This is, this is Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. Solomon writes. Solomon writes. Proverbs 3, 3. Do not let kindness and truth or loyalty, faithfulness leave you. Bind them around your neck. Bind what around your neck? Kindness and loyalty. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. It's the spirit of Jesus where you work that will rise up within you and enable you to see somebody. Joseph just saw the look on their faces. And when he saw the look on their faces and he saw that there was sadness there, he wanted to help them. He asked the question, why, why are you sad? If he had been so stuck on himself, so much a mission of whatever it was he'd been assigned to do, he might have never even noticed the look of sadness on their face. Brother, sister, Jesus has you in the place where you are so that it can be your eyes through which his eyes are seeing and you'll be drawn. 
Now that, that may not, that, you know, that, that may not cause you to immediately get a 20% raise in the next quarter. And that may not go on some necessarily some major part of your, of your evaluation, but who you working for, who you working for, who put you there, who is the one who opens doors and nobody can shut them. Who is the one who has the ability to command the blessing? Who is it? It's the Jesus who is the one most and ultimately that I answer to and I want to be pleasing in his sight. Sow the seed, respect for authority. Sow the seed of of living a life responsibly and with integrity. And sow the seeds of compassion at work, at work, at work. The harvest we want comes from the seeds we sow. And I would, I would give you one other part of that that Solomon writes in the Proverbs. This is verse 9 of chapter 3. Honor the Lord, he says. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Give the Lord something to bless. If if it is in the place of the financial, if it is in the place of the material, if that is where you desire for there to be a harvest, and there's nothing wrong with, in fact, we are encouraged to anticipate and to look forward to the Lord blessing that which we give to him materially. But if there is no giving, if there is no seed sowing, We shouldn't be surprised when there is no significant, measurable return because we haven't sowed anything to the young, to the ones just starting out, to the ones who may never have heard this before. The smartest financial investment you will ever make, period. I don't care who it is, where you come from, what the past is. The smartest financial investment you will ever make is to make sure that at least the first 10% of that which God has blessed you with financially goes back to the Lord, is given back to the Lord. And he will prove to you, he will prove to you that he will make the 90% go infinitely farther than the full 100%. And it won't just be in the area of the material. It will be in that place of you knowing in your heart that you're not in this financial world and facing these financial conditions by yourself because you have honored the Lord, you've invited the Lord into the middle of your financial situation. So when a crisis comes, an unexpected expense comes, things happen that you didn't know, instead of saying, God, where are you? There can be that sense of the Lord's already promised that I'll cause the windows of heaven to be opened and I'll cause there to be an outpouring of the blessing that you need that will be an abundance in your life at the time that you need it. I'll rebuke the devourer. I'll, I'll rebuke the things that are eating up what you have. You honor me first, and I'll take care of the locusts. You honor me first, and I'll see you to it. The deals have not, that have not closed before will be able to come to completion because you'll see that I'm faithful. I'm faithful to honor the seed that you sow, okay? So that's all about work. Sowing sowing at work. Sowing at work. 
Now let's shift gears. The, the harvest that we want in relationships comes from the seeds that we sow. Now, all right? Now, I'm expecting, I'm expecting some to try to check out at this point. And they're going to try to, you know, conclude, well, you, you just don't know. You don't know who I'm dealing with. <laughs> you, 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 you don't know. You don't know who I'm dealing with. I just come right back to that same way. The harvest, the harvest in relationships that we want comes from the seeds that we are sowing. We can get so ticked. We can get so mad. That we're not sowing anything. And if the things that we are sowing, it's, it's negative. It's, it's, it's hurtful. It's damaging. The challenge here is, and I want you to go with me to Luke chapter 5. And then we're going to look quickly at Luke chapter 19. And, and in, in the light of how Jesus, how Jesus sowed certain things in relationships with certain people. Difficult people. And then the harvest that he was receiving back again. That This is so encouraging. And folks, I'm not here to try to fuss at anybody this morning. But I am just trying to say, wait a minute. Look at your harvest. Look at your harvest. If the harvest is not what you want, then instead of just writing God off or just saying that's the way it's always going to be because that's the way it's always been, what if it is about the seeds that we're sowing? All right. So here we are in Luke, Luke chapter, Luke chapter, Luke chapter, Luke chapter. Where am I? I am looking, I'm looking here. Luke chapter 5, verse 27. Luke chapter 5, verse 27. Everybody got it? And after that, he, Jesus, went out and noticed a tax gatherer named Levi sitting in the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. And he, Levi, the tax gatherer, left everything behind and rose and began to follow him. Look at verse 29. And Levi gave a big reception for him in his house. And there was a great crowd of tax gatherers and other people who were reclining at the table with them. I'll just let that in. All right? Verse 30. And the Pharisees and their scribes began grumbling at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with the tax gatherers and sinners. And Jesus answered and said to them, It is not those who were well who need a physician, but those who were sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, if you, if you looked over at, um, at, at chapter 19, Luke chapter 19, here we go, Jesus getting in trouble again. With the religious police. Verse 1, Luke 19. He entered and was passing through Jericho. And behold, there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. And he was a chief tax gatherer. 
and he was rich. Now, folks, we've said in previous discussions, you pick out what you would consider the worst of all professions and the worst of all lifestyles to you. What would be to you the lowest of all professions and the lowest of all lifestyles? You take that name and you insert it in the New Testament every place you see the name tax gatherer. They were considered the lowest of the low. They were considered liars, traitors, thieves, for all the reasons that we've discussed before. That they had sold themselves, in a sense, to the, to, to, to the Romans for the collection of taxes. The Romans had a set amount that they wanted, that they were to get from the tax gatherers. But anything over and above that, the tax gatherers could keep for themselves. That's why it is said that they were rich. And here we have Zacchaeus, a chief tax gatherer, and very rich. But look, look at Jesus. Verse 3, he was trying to see who Jesus was, and he was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. And, and he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. Look at this in verse 5. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. Zacchaeus received Jesus gladly. And when they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, He's gone to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. And Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I'll give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I'll give, it, give them back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. In Luke chapter 15, where Jesus is going to tell the story about the, the lost sheep and the lost coins and the lost boy, Luke, in Luke chapter 15, describes the setting. He describes the setting as made up of two particular groups of people. One was the tax gatherers and the sinners. It, and Luke said there was so, it was, they said like they all came. It, Luke, it seemed like all the tax gatherers. And their companions came. And then there were also the Pharisees and the religious police who were just so put out at Jesus because he would even look in the direction of, he would even, he would even give, give a sense of respect to that low office. Okay, folks. Just, now, hang on. All right, now don't, 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 don't get up. Don't turn the TV off. What if the reason some folks don't respect you is because you don't respect them? These, these tax gatherers and these sinners somehow had a respect for Jesus. They wanted to listen to Jesus. Why did they want to listen to Jesus? Because Jesus would listen to them. 
He would go to their houses. He would spend whole evenings. And it doesn't say he was lecturing them on, on how, to, how to live better or all the reasons why God would have a right to just judge them. It, it's as if Jesus went into Zacchaeus' house, went into Levi's house, and he ate with them. And he listened to them. He respected them by his very presence entering the house. Folks, listen. Where we've become so disgusted and, and so put off by certain ones because of their lifestyle or because of their choices. Here's what the devil does with that. He gives us reason, gives us excuse as to quit sowing the kinds of things that Jesus just kept sowing and kept sowing and kept sowing. What if the reason some folks won't listen to you is because you won't listen to them? What if the reason that there's no compassion coming from them to you is because there's no compassion coming from you to them? They just seem to be, they just seem to stay at a distance. They just seem to, to be disgusted. Well, what if it's because in your heart you're, dis, you're distant? What if they're picking up on the fact that you're disgusted with them and distant from them, and therefore there's, there's, there's no, only the wrong kind of harvest that we don't want is coming back? You say, but, but they're living so bad, or they're living so wrong, or their theology is so fouled up. Stand in line. Jesus could have used all of those reasons. I mean, this was God. This was God in a human body. This is the one who wrote the Bible. And he goes into Levi's house with all of Levi's crazy friends, and he spends the evening with them. And he invites his men to go there with him. And it will specifically say with, with regard to Levi that there were, there were many other tax gatherers that were there as well. Well, did Jesus pass out a protocol pamphlet before he walked in? I am the son of God. You better watch how you talk. You, 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 need to, you need to get these things that are, are, that, you're, that are wrong in your thinking straightened up. Jesus didn't go to lecture. He didn't go to correct. He just came to love them. He just came to bless them with his presence. He just came to open his arms up to them and love them. I, I, I feel like I just I need to shout that a little bit and stomp a foot. Some folks say, just, they won't listen to me. Well, do you listen to them? Or is it always got to be how you have to straighten them out? And because they won't get it lined up with your agenda, then you just think, well, I just can't have anything to do with them. And so there's that distance. Jesus could have carried himself that way. Jesus could have reacted, and he would have had far more justification than you or I would ever have to not engage with ones that morally were messed up Truth, they had abandoned in many ways. But it is the goodness and the kindness of God that leads a man, leads a woman to repentance. They couldn't get enough of Jesus. 
because they sensed that he respected them. He respected them as a person. He he respected them by being willing to go into their house, put his feet onto their table, stick one of their spoons in his mouth, and just be with them. I, I, I don't think anybody threw anything yet. Can I just say this again? The harvest you want comes from the seed you sow. What if we're not getting anything back from the ones that we would so long for, for it to be different, for it to be closer, for it to be warm, for, for there to be an opportunity for relationship? But, but what if it's because we just quit sowing seeds of compassion? We, we, just, we just feel like we're the deliverer of truth. I just got to tell you the truth. Jesus could have said that and even more. We don't have any record that in the, in these, this wasn't just a, a 30 minute visit. Now, that's what the Pharisees were saying. He's going to their house. That means he's going to be camping out there for four, five, six hours. He's going to be in their house, listening to them, engaging in them. Where there would be questions asked, he would answer. But he wasn't there to lecture. He wasn't there to fix. He wasn't there to impose more more rules and more bars to jump over. And as a result of that, as a result of his respect for them, unrepentant, nothing changed. Levi, Zacchaeus, hit by the work of the Spirit in their hearts, we're making changes, but we have no indication that any of the others, any of the rest of the crowd had ever had a change. They were just drawn to Jesus. They were drawn to him because he listened to them, because he respected them. He respected them. He respected them as human beings. Where do we get the right to think because certain lifestyles or certain professions seem to be so offensive that we, we deserve, they deserve absolutely no respect. Ask Jesus about that. It can't be proven from the scripture. Oh, my brothers, so as we head into this year, am I getting back the harvest in relationships? Harvest in relationships that I desire. If I ask myself the question, could there be something wrong with my sowing, the seeds that I'm sowing? And somehow I've just come to the conclusion, I don't, I, I'm not supposed to sow anymore. I don't have to sow anymore. That, that's like a farmer looking out at a 40-acre patch of South Texas dirt with nothing profitable growing on it. But because he's disgusted with the dirt, realizes there's work and there may not be enough benefit because it may not rain, he just decides not to sow anything. And as a result of not sowing anything, he has no hope for a bountiful harvest. Can we let that in? Okay. Sowing at work. Sowing in relationships. Sowing in marriage. Sowing in marriage. And would you find 
Would you find the book of Ephesians, chapter 5? And I'm not going to read all of that latter part of Ephesians 5 that goes into detail about how husbands are to live with wives and wives with husbands. But here, here's the summary statement. This is Ephesians 5.33. Nevertheless, let each individual among you also love his own wife even as himself. It's present active. Love and keep loving his own wife even as himself. And let the wife see to it that she respect her husband. Let the wife see to it that she respect her husband. And let the husband love his own wife, even as himself. So, so the harvest at this point in time in your marriage, um, th th this is worth stating the single most, the single most expensive investment you will ever make in time or monetarily or emotionally is your marriage. And now I'm not expecting there to be a full open discussion at this point if we were to give each other grades on how we're necessarily doing, how we're feeling about how the marriage is going. But I do believe that for healthy and growing marriages, there will not just be once every five years a crisis discussion that's come as a result of stuff coming apart in the marriage. But it can be something, this kind of discussion, how am I doing? Are you feeling loved? You feeling respected, it, it, is something, it is something that is a regular, a regular, a regular conversation. That there is a book that, that I require, I require reading, I require it. If I'm going to be a part of a marriage ceremony, or if there is a couple coming in wanting to be visited with about the struggles in their marriage. We will go through the passages in Ephesians 5 and 1 Peter 3 and related passages, but there is one other book, one other book, one other book that is required reading. And it's a book called The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman. The Five Love Languages. It, it, he, his, his, his point there is that a husband and wife, more than likely, are not going to have the same love language, meaning she may hear and feel I love you from a completely different way that the husband feels that he's being loved. And, and our, our problem can be we assume that he or she, the spouse, has exactly the same love language that I do. So if I'm expressing love, I feel like love, out of, out of my love language, I'm just assuming she's supposed to get it. 
because that's the language I speak. And folks, folks, in far too many cases, nothing could be farther from the truth. I'm going to tell you, and I've surely and I, but we've talked about it. If, if this book had come our way 40 years ago, I would have been so much easier for her to have to live with, I think, because I didn't have a clue. Men can define love in one or two ways. Women can define love in other and opposite ways. My point is, my point is, for a marriage to stay alive and, and growing and, and attractive and, and warm with a future, the kids are all gone now, it's just the two of us. What are we going to do? We're going to love the rest of every one of our days together, not spend the rest of our lives looking in the rear of a mirror, oh, when the kids were home. You do know they grow up and leave you. <laughs> yeah. They, 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 go, they go, leave you, multiply, and then come back with the kids. It can be. But listen, listen. What if one of the reasons that your marriage has become same old, same old? What if one of the reasons that the marriage has become that just feels like it's shriveling up? Some may even be listening and just feel like there's no life. There is no life. Our marriage is on life support. What if it's because of this whole deal about seed sowing? And what if that has to do with love language being spoken? Now, guys, don't check out on me. No, don't check out on me. That's a little too touchy-feely for me, preacher. Well, you better get a grip on it, dude. Yeah. Come on. I just want to say that. If all you've got holding your marriage together is a promise and a ring, you're in trouble. Let me say it again. If all you've got holding your Mr. and Mrs. together is a ring and a vow, your marriage is in trouble. Here's where the third party comes in. It's when she or he has the ability to connect with your spouse in a way that you aren't connecting because you never have tried or have never chosen. It, 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 it's amazing, the study of affairs and the third part. It, it, it's not always about the most beautiful woman showing up or, or, the, or, or, or the man who's got more money showing up. It can so often be that the woman falls into because she's dried up and, it's been, and, and has felt that, that, that she is not loved because whatever her love language is just isn't being spoken to her by her husband. And here comes somebody else at work or wherever who just immediately seems to connect. It doesn't make it right. It's not the justifying for an affair or for a divorce. All I'm saying to you is, this is a big deal. This is a big deal, not only for the protection of your marriage, but for the health of your marriage. Here's the question to ask each other. When do you feel the most loved by me? When do you feel the most loved by me? And prepare to be shocked. 
if you've not had this discussion earlier. Or for the wife to say to the husband, when do you feel most respected by me? Because it's clear in the scripture in a couple of different places that that which husbands desire far more than anything else is the respect of their wives. What wives desire more than anything else from their husbands is to be loved, to be cherished, to be protected, to be known, to be loved by their husbands. Five love languages that Chapman speaks of. You, you may have one that's dominant. You may have a couple that are dominant. But to ask the question, when, when do you feel the most loved by me? When do you feel the most respected by me? Sir, ma'am, it doesn't matter how much you feel like your lover if she doesn't feel it. Do you understand that? Ma'am, it doesn't matter how much you would say, oh yeah, I respect him. If he's not getting it, it doesn't matter. The point is not that you would say, I love him or that I respect him or I love her. The point is whether or not on the inside of that one that you're supposed to be one with knows that. And would the goal would be, there is nobody on the face of this earth who loves me like my wife loves me. No, no one on the face of this earth who loves me like my husband loves me. Folks, that's not a fairy tale. That's not something that's just supposed to be for a few or, or in some, in, in some um, romance novel somewhere. It's the heart of the Lord that you would be an expression in the flesh of God's love for, their, for your spouse. A reminder of the... Here are the five love languages that, that Chapman points out. They're not listed in any order of importance. These are not ranked. They're all treated as equal. And I'm going to tell you this, if you got one love language, if, if, if your love language and you were 15, 16, 18 was this love language, very likely that's still going to be your language when you're 98 or 108. And for us to think, I just need to tweak her a little bit and get her to get off this stuff. It ain't going to work. Or if I can just get him to, to be at that place of loving in the way that I feel like love needs to be. Again, it's about sowing and reaping. You sow in the place, you sow in the love language, their love language, and there is a harvest that comes back. Here, here are the five. Words of affirmation. Words of affirmation. You're beautiful. You're smart. You can do it. You're awesome. Quality time. Just spending time together. Don't even have to say anything. Don't be out to going anywhere. Just being together. Just being together. Just being making a priority out of being together because you want to be together. Quality time gifts. I saw this and I thought about you and I want you to have it. It has nothing to do necessarily with the dollars spent. It just means it is an expression of a heart that is saying, I thought of you, you matter to me, you're valuable, and I wanted to give this to you. Acts of service, 
acts of service, doing things, physically doing things for the other one. And then physical touch, a kiss, a hug. The ultimate expression of that in marriage produces children. Physical touch. Okay, so, and I do this. I, I, I do this regularly. I'll, I'll have the couples read the book. I get them, but they say, you need a, each a copy. Don't be reading out the same book, reading each other underlines and notes and dates. You get your own copy and you read it and then we're going to talk. And then I get them back in there and I say, okay, I want you to tell me what is her love language? What is his love language? Most of the time, it's like somebody here in, in, in South Texas trying to learn German or trying to learn French. It, it, it is, this is the way I speak love. This is how I feel love. But if you do that and that's not his or her love language, they don't feel loved. I don't know how many couples I've had sit on my, on a couch in the, in the office in there and, and, I, and, one, and they've been married for 30 years and, and she comes in and, and, and but she's had enough and she will say, but I'd, I just don't feel loved. I just don't feel loved by him. To which he's liable to say, I bought you a new car every other year. Look at the house that we live in. As far as she is concerned, stuff doesn't matter, okay? If, If the love language was one of these others, words of affirmation, quality time together, acts of service, you know, y'all have heard me talk about this before, but I, Shirley's got two of them. She may have more, but I know she's got two. Quality time and acts of service. Quality time and acts of service. For me, it's word, words of affirmation and, and, um, um, and physical touch. If she wants to come hug me, I'll just stay there all day long. Just let that happen. And if she wants to tell me, really, I don't, it doesn't matter to me. It does a little bit, but it doesn't matter to me what you folks say about the preaching on Sunday. But if, if, if Ms. Walker, if Ms. Walker meets me with, honey, that blessed me. That spoke to me. That was a good word. Then I don't care what the rest of you said, thought, or wondered about. I'm ready to go again. But the other side is also true. If she says something which she has a time or two, honey, I felt like we were like the children of Israel wandering for 40 years around my side. That's not good. I don't, I don't want that. But I'll guarantee you I'm wanting to listen. So wh- how did I mess up? How can I, make that, how can I make that better? How can I do different? What you sow. What you sow. I need to quit here. But what you sow into your marriage can make all the difference in the world. And instead of it being just an endurance trip, instead of it just being check out with each other, it can literally begin to be something that God intended it to be from the very beginning. That you would love her. You would know that she loves you. And it doesn't mean that, you know, one, one little counseling thing, one little reading of the book is going to fix it. If you want to stay the same person you've always been, then don't ever get married. <laughs> I'm marrying her to make me a better person. That means all she's around is just a buttress 
the mess that you already are. But oh goodness, if we realize the Lord has brought folks into our, brought our wives, our husbands into our, into our lives for the purpose of strengthening us and growing us and te- for her to respect me enough to say, and Shirley's had to do this, you're better than that. You're better than that. You, you, that's not who you are. That, that's not the man that I married. Oh, great Scott, when they try that one on you. But what if it's true? And so often it can be that, that speaking of the truth one to another. And, but then that, that genuine, I will love her as Christ loved the church. I will love her. And her way of knowing that I love her, if she's struggling and there's a pile of dishes in the sink, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't have to send her candy. I don't have to say I love you. I'll just go in there and roll up my sleeves and start working on the dishes. And then I go crank up that manly tool in the house called the vacuum cleaner. And I can just start running that thing around. And then when there's, there's something that some, 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 something she wants to look at on that HD TV thing where they're rebuilding and remodeling the whole world backwards and forwards, and she wants to sit there and watch that, but because of the sense that that matters to her, it means something to her that we're doing it together to make the choice to go and do it, even when there's something else on another channel that might prick my interest. <laughs> loving, loving her as Christ loved the church. I can say to you, and it hadn't been easy. I mean, and she, you know, she could get up here and, and go, go toe-to-toe and give all kinds of examples on her side. But after 44 years of being together and mar- married, the, the, the one human that I want to be with is Shirley. I, I, I want to be with her. She still fascinates me. She still intrigues me. She still is a surprise to me. She still is absolutely the most gorgeous woman I've ever seen in my life. I'm not kidding. You say, well, you know, Pastor, have, you know, how's this, how's this, lust thing been, this other women thing been over the years? I don't know. I don't know. Because the one that has captured my attention and captured my heart has been my wife. I hadn't felt like I needed to go shopping. I'm going to tell you this too. You tell each other, you tell each other, you're beautiful, you're handsome. You know what you're going to do? You're going to be trying to live up to that. You're going to be trying to live up to that. But if decades have gone by and there's never been a compliment, then don't be surprised if you're living with a slob or living with somebody who would go sleuthful, to use a king's name. But, but where there's the statement and it comes from the heart, you're beautiful, you're smart. I love being with you and you mean it. That's how the Lord I believe, has intended for us to be. And I'm going to leave this. Surely they're going to be together. We're liable to have the biggest cat fight that we've ever had in our marriage just because I've gone on and on about that. But we'll get over it. We'll get through it. It's still true. Okay, Lord, I, I pray that you'll take this wherever this needs to go. I know we've been a little long on this, but I, I just ask you to, for marriages, for relationships, for work, that the sowing, the sowing, the sowing will be good seed, good seed. 
In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you for being a part with us today, Alamo City Streaming family. We're praying for you, love you. Let us hear from you if there's a prayer request that we can join with you in praying. Pastor Walker at alamocity.org. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you, sister.